We recognize that Father's Day is a different experience for different people. Some of you today are celebrating what you have. Some of you are fondly remembering what you had. Some of you are grieving what you'd never had. Uh, some of you have fears of what you may never have. And so we recognize that wherever you're at today, there's grace for it, there's strength for it in Christ, and there's a Heavenly Father who is the best of the best of our dads and uh, heals us from the things that we've experienced that haven't been great. And so uh, wherever you're at, we pray that you'll find God's grace and strength for you this morning. I'm on all ends of the spectrum, having lost a father six years ago and being a father of three beautiful girls, I find a lot of joy today and I find moments of sorrow today, and that's probably true of many of you. Being a dad of three girls, it's interesting, you know, when you're a parent of young children, it feels like your primary responsibility is to protect them. I don't know how you felt as a, as a parent of young children, but I felt like every small thing was something that could make them choke, and every big thing could fall on them. <laughs> so it's like always running around with a little bit of fear that something's going to happen to my kids, so always looking to protect them. But all parents, as your kids get older, you know you have to shift from protecting them to preparing them. You can't, how many of you learned you can't protect your children forever? They have to eventually leave your grip, your, your steady embrace. They got to go out and figure things out for their own. You, you move from, prepare, from protecting to preparing. This week, my oldest daughter got hired, her first ever job, first child in my house to have a job. She's now an employee at Wegmans. As if I didn't go to Wegmans enough already, uh, now I have an, a real good reason to go there. And uh, I, I'm seeing that I, she's in a stage, she's 15, where now I have to, I have to amp up the preparing. And in some ways, as much as it kills me, pull back on the protecting. And then there's a third stage. And I was trying to think of another P word to keep the alliteration going, pr protecting, preparing. And I could only com come up with pushing them out the house or punting them out the house. <laughs> pushing or punting. I guess it depends on the kid. Um, sometimes we want to push and punt while we're still protecting and preparing. Like this morning when I walked into my nine-year-old's bedroom and, sh and full, full well knowing it was Father's Day. She looked at me and smiled and said, it's just a regular day, Dad. It's just a regular day. <laughs> she likes poking fun at me. As a parent, there comes a time where you realize you have to not just embrace your child, you have to empower them. This morning, we're going to talk about the value of empowerment. At Trinity, this is one of our seven core values, empowerment. It's sort of summarized in this statement. We don't recruit volunteers, we release leaders. We're not just looking for people to fill a spot on a team. We're looking for people to step into all that God has called them to be and to do, to empower them to lead. And, uh, you know, my graduate work is in leadership, and there's many definitions and understandings of what leadership is. But one of the simplest definitions is that leadership is influence. And anywhere you have influence, you're a leader. And so all of us lead. If nothing else, you lead yourself, right? Self-leadership, which is often the hardest form of leadership. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this value of empowerment. What does it look like to be empowered to lead, not just inside the walls of this church, but every area of life, where you go, where you work, where you play, where you serve, where you live? And we're going to look at a somewhat familiar passage in Ephesians chapter 4. This is a letter that a man named Paul, who at one point in his life hated Jesus and the Christians, but through a radical conversion experience became one of the leaders of the early church and planted many churches all over Asia Minor. 
He's writing a letter to a church in Ephesus, a church that he was a part of starting, a church that he loved very much. And he knew that if this church was going to be everything Jesus wanted this church to be, they needed to understand what it meant to be empowered for what he calls the work of ministry. And 2,000 years later, it's still true today. If Trinity Assembly is going to be everything that Jesus wants us to be, then every single one of us that calls this our home church, we need to be empowered for the work of ministry. Let's look at this passage together, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. I'm reading to you from the ESV. And Paul says, and he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These are gifts that he gave to the church. Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, verse 13 talks about the purpose of it until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, instead of being easily deceived by false teaching and false teachers, we need to speak the truth in love. And in doing so, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, Jesus, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there is this clear sense from this passage that Paul says there's something for all of us to do, and when we're all doing our part, when we are all empowered to lead and we're working together as we should, there's something amazing that the church can be. And so this morning, what I want us to, as we work through this text, I want us to see four things that are true about empowerment. And I'm going to present these four things to you in the form of four statements that are does not equal statements or is not equal to statements. So here's the first one. Showing up does not equal growing up. Showing up does not equal growing up. You can show up at church your entire life and never grow up. It's possible. This is what Paul's teaching us here. Showing up does not equal growing up. Now, part of the problem with the way we think about church is the way we experience every other area of life. For example, movies, sports, concerts, we show up to be entertained by the professionals, right? We sit back, they entertain us. Doctors, dentists, therapists, we show up to be cared for by the professionals. Restaurants and coffee shops, we go there, we show up to be served by the professionals, trainers, auto mechanics, teachers. We show up to be helped, taught, cared for by professionals. And then we go to church on Sunday and we drag that mindset into the church and we say, I'm here this morning to be ministered to by the professionals. The professional singers and musicians and preachers and I'm here just to get something out of it. And here's what it creates. It creates in the church a spectator mindset instead of a participant mindset. And the church is not about being spectators. It's about being a participant. It's not about being a consumer. It's about being a contributor. Some people think, well, the pastors and the church leaders, they do all the ministry, and we pay them to do all the ministry. And then we come here, and we consume, and we enjoy, and we critique, and we assess. Was it a good song set? Was it a good message? Was the temperature in the room good? How was the coffee this morning? Right? We consume. We assess. We're experts. We receive, but Paul says, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers were given not to do the work of the ministry, but in verse 12, to equip the saints. That's you. 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, pastors like myself, we're not entertainers. I know you all agree with that. You're not very entertaining, David. We're not the entertainers. We are the equippers. In other words, we're not the players on the field. We're the coaches on the sideline who are sending the saints out to do the work of the ministry. So the challenge in Ephesians 4 is get in the game. Get out of the stands and get onto the field because there's a work for you to do. And when we aren't all working together, there's something that we're missing out on. So the question before us this morning is this, are you showing up or are you growing up? Are you a consumer or are you a contributor? Are you a spectator or a participant? Are you here to be entertained or to be equipped? Maybe you're wondering, well, equipped for what? Equipped to do what type of ministry? And as a church, we want to help you figure that out. Part of our Discover Trinity class is to talk about different personalities, different spiritual gifts, different natural gifts, and to work alongside of you to say, how can we equip you to do ministry? There's lots of opportunities right here at Trinity to serve. And I want to celebrate something as we're talking about empowerment this morning. Recently, we were working on our scheduling for July and August for all of our teams. And you probably can guess that July and August are the most difficult months to schedule because all of you have wonderful plans, which is great. We're glad that people get to get away and vacation. But there's a lot of blocked dates in July and August, more than any other months of the year. And so I was working alongside some other people on setting up the schedule for our ushers, the, the, those who help people come in and, and serve people and, and just kind of jump in in a lot of different ways on Sunday mornings. I was kind of dreading it. I was like, this is going to be hard. We're going to have a really hard time. We need eight ushers every Sunday between our two services. This is going to be really hard. But what I realized when I went in to, to start working on this was there's so many new people in our church who are not spectators. They're participants. They're not consumers. They're contributors. And in the last couple months, there's five, six new people in our church who have said, well, I'll serve as an usher. And honestly, it was so easy for us to put this schedule together. And I just want to thank God for that. That speaks of what you guys are about and who we are as a church. And, I, and, and so I think to all of us, the question is, what kind of ministry is Christ calling us to do here at Trinity? But don't just stop there, because it's not just at Trinity, because our ministry is not just what happens inside the walls of this church, but our ministry, most of our lives is not spent here, right? The vast majority of your life is spent where you work, where you live, where you go to school, where you shop, where you play. And the ministry that God has called you to is more about those spaces than even this space. What does ministry look like in your workplace? Because if you're growing up, it means that you're going out. Ministry in every area of your life. So first thing, showing up does not equal growing up. The second thing I want us to see from this passage is this statement. Insecurity does not equal humility. Insecurity is not the same thing as humility. Because some people start hearing about leadership and serving and they immediately kind of go into this self-pity mode. Oh, I don't have all the gifts. I'm, I can't do what that person does. I don't have the personality, the skill set, the charisma, the natural abilities, the spiritual gifts. I'm too young, I'm too old, and it comes off as sort of a false humility. Insecurity is not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, right? It's not thinking down on yourself. It's thinking of others first. Here's some things I was thinking about this week. Humility will kill ambition in your heart, unhealthy ambition, but it should not kill boldness. Those are two different things. Humility will kill ambition, but not boldness. Humility will kill an unhealthy drive to be seen and noticed, but it will not kill God-honoring passion and desires to make a difference. 
Humility will kill confidence in myself, but it should not kill confidence in who I am in Christ. And anyone who did anything for, for God in the scriptures, they were humble, but they were not insecure. They knew who they were in Christ, and they stepped out in boldness and risk-taking. It requires us to step out of our comfort zones, to do things that we didn't think possible, and to not wait for things to be perfect for us to do it. There's this interesting little verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4a. In the NLT, it says this. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If you're waiting for the perfect season of life to start serving... If you're waiting for the perfect time in your life to use your gift to bless this church and bless this community, it's never coming. It's not coming. If you wait for it, you'll never plant. Some people are like, well, when the dust settles, sometimes you have to serve while the dust is still blowing around you, right? So insecurity does not equal humility. There's too much at stake for us to shrink back. And the purpose of all of this ministry or this work of ministry, Paul talks about it in verse 14. He says, without this, we will not attain to the unity of faith, knowledge of Jesus, mature manhood, or in the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. If we won't step beyond our insecurities into humility and then serve willingly, what's actually at stake is the maturity of other brothers and sisters in Christ around you. There's something being held up when we're not willing to be empowered to serve. The world does not, make, does not need Christians making excuses why they can't or shouldn't use their God-given gifts to bless and serve others. What the world needs is the church standing in the confidence of who they are in Christ, moving towards need wherever it is and empowering, being empowered to lead. If you have a gift, and spoiler alert, you do. If you have a gift, this is not the time to be insecure about it. This is not the time to make it more about yourself than others. This is the time to serve and think of others. Now, insecurity is an interesting thing because it shows up in our lives often in one of two ways, and they seem like they're on opposite ends of the same spectrum, but it's actually coming from the same source of insecurity. Let me give you, let me explain. Sometimes insecure people show up as being harsh, and sometimes insecure people show up as hiding. And they seem like it's opposite ends of the spectrum, but there's the same thing going on in their hearts. Insecure people often are harsh because the old saying is hurt people hurt people. And when we don't feel good about ourselves, we often have to tear down other people to try and prop ourselves up. And so there are times in which insecurity will show up as harshness, and harshness will hold back the work of ministry that God has called you to do. Even if you're saying the right thing, if you're saying it in the wrong way. It's not going to have the impact that God wants it to have. So sometimes insecurity shows up as harshness, but sometimes insecurity shows up as hiding. And I'm just going to hide, and I'm going to take my gift, and I'm going to hide away until whatever passes by or I feel better. So what does Paul say about this? In verse 15, Paul uses this phrase that you've probably heard before. We must speak the truth in love. It's both things. It's not hiding. Speak the truth. It's not harshness because it's in love. Speaking the truth in love. And sometimes, speaking of spectrums, we think of truth being on one end of the spectrum and, and love being on the other end of the spectrum, and somehow we got to get right in the middle. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying there's a perfect middle ground between being a jerk and being too soft. What he's saying is you, as a believer, using your gifts should function fully in truth or from a place of truth, actually is better reading of the Greek, from a place of truth and from a place of love, to speak the truth in love. I've said it this way before, truth without love will not be heard, but love without truth is not helpful. Tim Keller says that truth without love is self-righteous, imperious, 
truthness. It's just you trying to tell everybody how they should live. But love without truth is actually self-indulgent cowardness, that you're not willing to risk the friendship or the moments or the comfort of that situation to actually say what needs to be said. But love and truth together makes you a leader, a friend, a disciple maker, empowered. So insecurity does not equal humility. Third thing this morning, activity does not equal productivity. Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're getting things done. Now, I learned this lesson in a really painful way. Uh, My friend years ago opened up a gym on Erie Boulevard, and it was a high-intensity interval training gym. And it's a quick workout, but it's intense. And he, he gave me a free pass. And so I just wanted to support him. <laughs> so I went there, and you've maybe heard me talk about this experience before. I, I worked out, and in 30 minutes, I did more than I think I'd ever done in my life. I literally, driving home on 41, I thought I was going to have to pull over. Like, I didn't know if I was going to throw up or pass out or do both at the same time. I had never had this sort of experience. And all of a sudden, I realized, man, I go to Planet Fitness. I go to the YMCA. I'm there for a good hour sometimes, you know, on the treadmill, just kind of walking, listening to stuff. Then a little time in the massage chair. And then the, and, and, and then the, the hydro plane, the hydro bed. And then I go back, and I lift a few weights, and I'm barely sweating. And I walk out, and I'm feeling okay. And I realized activity doesn't always equal productivity. You could be in a gym for two hours, but if you're not doing the right things the right way, you're not nearly as productive as someone who does it the right way and the right things for 15, 20, even 30 minutes. Now listen, when we talk about the work of ministry, some of you already are feeling the pressure of, I got a full life, I got a full life, I'm pretty busy, I don't need more stuff to do. We're not trying to make your lives busier, we're actually trying to give your life direction and purpose. So within the rhythms of your life that already exist, What does it look like to do the work of ministry? While you're doing the work of teaching in a school, what does it look like to simultaneously be doing the work of ministry? When you're doing the work of managing or administrating or directing in a company, what does it look like at the exact same time to also be doing the work of ministry? This is not about more activity. This is about a restored identity to who Christ calls you to be, those who do his work. Equipping is not just about increased religious activity. It's not about filling your calendars. It's about filling your life with purpose that is eternal and lasts beyond your next paycheck. The goal is not being busy. The goal is not to live frantic, full lives. I read an article this week uh, from a woman named Jana Carlson, and she was talking about how frantic our lives have become. Maybe you can relate. She said there's three reasons why we have a frantic pace to our lives. There's probably more than three, but these are the three she mentioned. The fear of what people think of us leads us to this exhausting attempt to please everyone and live up to their expectations instead of pleasing God first or knowing that we are pleased or that God is pleased with us because of Jesus. So the fear of what other people think. Secondly, the fear of failure, which is steeped in legalism, forgetting the good news of God's grace to us, that even if you fail, there's grace for you. And the third thing is whether he loves and accepts us, not because of anything we do, but because of who he is. And the third thing is the fear of things falling apart because we believe the lie that everything is up to us. And we need to control everything. And if we take our hands off the wheel for just a moment, who's directing things? Who's in control? And the answer for a Christian is it's God. And it's always been God. God has always been in control. So if God is in control, we don't have to fear things falling apart. It doesn't mean we don't do good work. It means it doesn't own us. It means we can live free. We're not frantic and full all the time. 
if we believe in the grace of God, we don't have to struggle with the fear of failure all the time because regardless of whatever we do, Jesus has seen us at our worst failures and he loves us and he saves us. And because God is glorious, we don't have to be afraid of what other people think because the one whose opinion matters most, he loves us. So the goal isn't just activity. What is the goal? The goal is maturity, that we would grow up, that we would be productive and also reproductive, meaning that the life of Christ within us would be reproduced in other people. That's the real work of ministry, that what Jesus has done in you, he does through you, that the Jesus at work in you now can be at work in other people because you are at the work of ministry wherever you go. Our mission statement here at Trinity is making disciples for the glory of our God and the good of our community. And we get that right from Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus, the resurrected Christ, stood before his disciples on the mountain and said, as you go, or in all of your going, everywhere you go for all of time, here's the one command, make disciples reproduce the life of Christ in others. And so the question before us this morning is not, do we serve at Trinity? And thank you if you do, because we need people to serve. It's not, do I hold doors? Do I work in the nursery? Am I an usher? Do I stand on this stage? The real work of ministry is this. Am I giving my life away for the things Jesus gave his life away for? Are there people around me who I'm discipling and pouring my life into through gospel friendship and gospel conversation? Often we think, well, if we just had bigger churches and better preachers, we would reach more people. And there's nothing wrong with bigger churches or better preachers. But I came across this example years ago, and it's always stuck with me. It talks about a super evangelist versus a faithful discipler. And let's just say that the super evangelist every day stands on a corner somewhere in Syracuse and preaches the gospel, and every day 1,000 people place their faith and trust in Jesus. Incredible, right? How many of you would sign up for that ministry right now? Remarkable. 1,000 people a day because of this super evangelist. Meanwhile, the faithful discipler spends the whole year just discipling five people. Every day, 365 days, praying for those people, giving their lives to them, five people in a year. After one year, we have this here on the screen for you. After one year, here's what happens. 365,000 people are reached by the super evangelist, and five people have been reached by the faithful disciple. It's not really a fair comparison, is it? Year two, let's keep going. In year two, they continue at this pace, and now there's 720,000 people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, but the five plus the original, the six original, have made five more disciples, and so now there's 30 people in year two. Year three, the, the faithful, or the super evangelist jumps over a million, 1,085,000 people, incredible, and, and here's the faithful disciple, just kind of like the turtle, just crawling along 150. Year four, 1.45 million versus 750 people, I haven't even broken a thousand yet. Year five, coming up on two million people reached by the super evangelist, and faithful disciples making a little bit of a ground up, 3,750 people well, look what happens when you go to year 10. <laughs> At year 10, the, the super evangelist has reached 3,650,000 people, but the faithful discipler has reached over 11 million people with the gospel. Why? Because it's multiplication, not addition. Jesus didn't just have a message. Jesus had a method, and his method never changed. It's men and women giving their lives away to other men and women so that the gospel might be advanced. You might look at this and go, I can never be a super evangelist, and that's fine. And if that is your calling, then walk in that. This is not against evangelists, of course. The point is this. If you feel like you can't be a super evangelist, what about a faithful discipler? Can you give your faith away to five people this year? It doesn't have to be awkward. You don't have to bring a big, heavy Bible 
to meet with them, you just start being the best big brother, big sister they've ever had. You start loving them, walking with them, sharing your life with them. Disciples, listen, disciples are not mass produced. God bless big, big churches, but I'm telling you from scripture, disciples are not mass produced. Disciples are not made from a distance. Disciples are not made through a lot of religious activity. Here's how disciples are made according to the life of Jesus in the early church. They're made one at a time in deep relationship in which the life of Christ in one person is being reproduced in the life of another person by the grace of God and the work of the Spirit. And that's what at Trinity, that's really what we want to empower you to do. More than empower you to serve on a team, we want to empower you to commit and lead others to know Jesus. We haven't been, as a church, we haven't been empowered to offer programs, have ministries, or even have Sunday services. As a church, we've been empowered to make disciples. Activity does not equal productivity. And then lastly this morning, I'm going to have Pastor Antonia join me. Ministry does not equal identity. Ministry does not equal identity. This week I was listening to a podcast. Craig Grishel has a leadership podcast. He was interviewing a pastor, author named Albert Tate. And Albert Tate talked about the difference between what we long for and what we reach for as humans. I never heard that language before, and it was very helpful to me. He said, there are things we long for, deep things we long for, but then there are the things that we reach for. He gave some examples. We long for comfort, but we reach for a cheeseburger. We long for meaning, we reach for a new car. We long for importance, but we reach for more followers and likes on social media. We long for security and significance, but what we reach for is more money. We long for confidence, what we reach for is a drink. We long for rest, but what we reach for is a new show to mindlessly binge on TV. We long for intimacy, and we reach for porn. We long for power, and we reach for violence. Here's what he's saying. Humans have deep longings, but shallow reach. Deep longings, shallow reach. And as human beings, our deepest longing is identity. That's at the core of who we are. We have to know who we are. We can't get through life with some sense of identity. One of the great dangers is this, that we have the longing for identity, but we reach for ministry. One of the most dangerous things about ministry is that you can learn how to do it. You can be taught how to do it. Everything I've said in this message up until this point has been a green light. Go, serve, step up, get in the game. Here's the yellow light. Slow down. Here's the red light for some of you. Stop. If ministry is something you're pursuing because you're looking for identity, if you're longing for identity and you think you're going to find it in a title in this church or on a team in this church or in doing something significant in this church, I'm telling you right now, be careful because ministry can never equal your identity. And Paul in this passage in verse 15 says, as we grow up, we grow up into the head who is Christ. And it's Christ who is our head, who is joined to our body. And what Paul is saying, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, those saints equipped for the work of ministry, never forget that you are not joined to your ministry. You are not joined to your title. You're not joined to your gift. You're not joined to your calling. You're not even joined to your abilities. You are joined to Christ. He is the head. The metaphor of the body means different parts, unique callings, unique contributions. We all are different from each other. Different hands, different 
some are hands, some are feet, some are knees, some are backs, some are chin, some are no, one head, Jesus. Now listen, how do you know that you're in danger of thinking of your ministry as your identity? I'm gonna give you three quick things and we're gonna close. If ministry becomes your identity, here's three things you will hate. You will hate competition. If anyone comes along who does the same ministry you do, if they're better than you, you'll lose your joy. If they're worse than you, you'll feel better about yourself. You'll hate competition, so to speak. You'll hate change. If anyone says, hey, we need to do something different about the ministry that you have. We need to, we need, we need to pivot. We need to change. We need to adjust. You'll be very closed off to it because your identity has become your ministry. And you'll also hate criticism because it won't, it won't feel like they're criticizing what you do. It'll feel like they're criticizing who you are because your ministry has become your identity. And so what do we do? We remind ourselves. Here's what we remind ourselves of. Christ joined himself to you. When you had no interest in joining yourself to Christ, he came after you and he joined himself to you. And he's the head and we're the body and we're growing up into Christ and we're connected to Christ. And because Christ has joined himself to us, we now join ourselves to each other. Because only by joining to each other can we be the body connected to the head that is Jesus. Our identity is secure in Jesus Christ. Your ministry is necessary and important. That's been three quarters of my message this morning. But please hear this end. It must never be the source of your identity because you are in Christ. And in Christ, you are enough. Our power and our empowerment comes from that. Let's pray together this morning.